September 20th, 2022, in Masechet Berachot, He Amud Aleph, the very bottom line. Says the Gemara, Tane Tana Kameh Derbi Yohanan, Kola Osek Batorah, Ubigmilut Hasadim, Vekober et Banav, Mohalino Al Kola Monotav. The Gemara statement is any person who's immersed in Torah, in Gimilut Hasadim, in helping others, and buries his children, in other words, he achieves forgiveness for all his sins. Of course, a very simple and exaggerated statement. There's not just an easy forgiveness, but the statement at its, at its core is speaking about circumstances, situations within which a person can orient themselves and have proper perspective. Torah, of course, brings us to the words of God. Gemilut Hasadim brings us to the ways of God. Mahu Rahum, Afatahe Rahum. The same way he was Koveret Hametim, so too should you. The same way he was Mevakeret Holim, so too should you. And then Koveret Banav will have some opportunity to discuss over the course of this Amud, but I'll already reference to you what Rashi mentions in a little bit. Rashi talks about the process of avelut, of mourning, as an opportunity to achieve kapara. And what I think he means with that is if you look at the words of Harambam, as well as Ramban Nahmani in his Torah Ta'adam, they each talk about the time and the process of avelut, of mourning, as a time which is ripe for us to open our minds and hearts for connectedness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Koveret Banav is not the burial per se, but it's the experience which gives that opportunity, as ironically difficult as it is, but the opportunity perhaps for optimal connection, if done right. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Yohanan, Rabbi Yohanan responds to this Tane Tana. Tane Tana means an individual who knew Mishnayot well, who was studying with Rabbi Yohanan, Kamed Rabbi Yohanan, he recited this statement. Rabbi Yohanan responds to him and he says, I understand some of it, I don't comprehend its entirety, or it in its entirety. Bishlama, it's understood, Torah gemilut hasadim. I can make sense of the Torah and gemilut hasadim with regards to their ability to achieve, to bring you to the achievement of mechila. Dichtiv, after all, the Pasuk says, Bechesed ve'emet, yechupar avon. Kaparat avon will come from chesed ve'emet. What's chesed? Chesed zo gemilut hasadim. Shene'emar, we can suggest that the word chesed referred to here in Mishle, if we compare it to another pasuk, is a reference to gemilut hasadim, when you do good for another. Shene'emar, rodef sedakah v'chased, yimsa hayim sedakah v'chabod. The pasuk says elsewhere in Mishle, uh, just a bit afterwards, a few chapters later in Mishle, it talks about rodef sedakah v'chased, so it's a reference to tzedakah, and chesed in tandem, we understand that chesed then is a reference to gimilut hasadim, is to the ways of righteousness to others. That much I understand. Uh, I understand as well that Torah can bring you to mechila uh, for your avonot, says Rabbi Yohanan. Emet, zo Torah, after all, that initial pasuk in Mishle Perek Tetzayin, bechesed ve'emet yechupar avon, is a reference to Torah, shene emar, as the pasuk as well, two perakim later in Mishle says, Emet kene ve'al timkor. You should acquire, you should make a kinyan on emet, don't ever sell it. Um, just parenthetically in that context, we should mention that a kinyan, we'll talk about kinyan in many circumstances in Torah and mitzvot, for example, at the very beginning of Masechet Kiddushin, when it says, Ha'isha niknet bishlosha derachim, there are three ways to acquire a woman. That acquisition is sometimes difficult, especially 
for a modern sensibility and mindset to say you're acquiring a woman. Uh, I once read in the book Re'edeah of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro the suggestion that a kinyan, compared to several other circumstances and situations in Tivrei Hachamim and elsewhere, is a reference to when you're completing yourself. People acquire matters or things that they believe or know that they need. So emet kene is a reference to Torah being part and parcel with your being. You need to acquire Torah, it needs to become. The truth is we have a Mishnah at the end of Pirkei Avot, which talks about the 48 kinyanim of the Torah. There are 48 ways to acquire Torah. Ela, however, finishing the statement of Rabbi Yohanan, who's questioning the statement of the individual who cited that Torah, Gimilut Hasadim, and Koveret Etbanav, Behayav, are all ways of achieving Mechilat Avonot. Koveret Banav Minayin. Do you have a Pasuk? Perhaps that's Romez that hints to this idea, that by burying children, having them die in your lifetime, you achieve mechila. Answers the Gemara, Tana lehahu sabah mishum bishimon ben Yochai, atya avon avon. We have a gezerah of shava of sorts where the Pasuk describes the word, mentions the word avon in two places. Firstly, in the Pasuk that we're dealing with, and then elsewhere, this time not in Mishle, but in Sefer Yirmiyah, the Pasuk says, The Pasuk describes in that context the sons of the fathers in the uh, in the in the uh, held up against the chest of the father and mentions avon there as well. Uh, so from the technical legwork standpoint, we've established chesed ve'emet yichupar avon are references to Torah gimilut hasadim, and lastly koveret banav for achievement of mechila. But now Rabbi Yohanan himself, not having someone speaking in front of him, he speaks up and makes the following remark. Not so much about kapara in the traditional sense, but about that issue, that enigmatic and mysterious matter, which we've been discussing in the past, and that was Isurin Shel Ahava. Very briefly, I'll remind you, Rashi's interpretation to Isurin Shel Ahava, difficult as it was, is that Yisurin means torture, means suffering, Ahava of love, even in a circumstance where the person is undeserving of it. The person is so righteous to the extent that, so to speak, the will of God is that they achieve more in terms of reward, he will afflict them. That's Yisurin Shala Ahava. Difficult concept to comprehend. As I mentioned, the Gemara will struggle and we'll see much of that with that concept today. Amar Biohanan Negaim Ubanim. Enan Yisurin Shel Ahava. He qualifies this Yisurin Shel Ahava, which we dealt with. It might not be if it takes away the ability to study Torah, maybe if it takes away the stability to pray. He mentions, he says, there are two types of Yisurin, of torture, of suffering, of, of affliction. You'll know it's not Yisurin Shel Ahava. What are those? Negaim, if you're plagued, some sort of plague or another, if your body has an affliction with regards to growths on it, or something along those lines. Of course, we have an entirety of Masechet Negaim that describes Negaim and Banim. We'll have to define what Banim means. Says the Gemara, well, let's try to deal with, first and foremost, what we're referring to. Unegaim lo, is it really so? That Negaim, these plagues, if they afflict you, are not an expression of Yisurin Shel Ahava. Vahatanya, don't we have an alternative Braita which teaches called Mishiyeshbo Ehad Me'arba'a Marot Negaim Halalu? Enan ela mizbah kapara. 
The statement is that if a person has one of the following four, of course we don't reference it over here, but the Beraita probably would in its continued or initial sense and context tell you what they are. Rashi tells us what they are. It's a se'et and it's toledet, and a baheret and it's toledet. It refers to different colors and hues with regards to white and off-white of these growths on the body. You know, kind of brings to mind sarat, leprosy in that respect. Well, anyway, anyone who has one of these four growths, these different colored growths on their skin, you should know that's a mizbah kapara. Mizbah kapara, that's a trigger. That should tell us you do achieve kapara. Maybe it is isurin shel ahava. Answers the gemara more important than that suggestion, of course, as being an answer. But in terms of qualifying, answers gemara mizbah kapara havu, yisurin shel ahava, lo havu. Wait a second, here's our interpretation to this line. Uh, Yisurin Shalava never had anything to do with kapara. Kapara, by definition, suggests I needed a cover-up. The word kofir, or kaporet, in the Torah is something that covers. You cover items with uh, a coating called kofir. You put the kaporet on top of the aron. Kapara means there's something underneath that's looming. You need to cover it up. I sinned, I need a kapara. I'm searching for a kapara. Yisurin Shalava if you recall, had nothing to do with kapara. It was a person who, as Rashid described it at least, as righteous to the extent that they're not seeking or searching or in need of kapara, they're just given more merit. So in turn, the answer of the Gemara is, that's right, you can achieve kapara through introspection and teshubah if you got one of those four negaim. However, yisurin shel ahava, it would not be. Says Gemara v'ibaitema, alternatively, one of two other answers, Halan vehallehu. This is for us and that is for them. And of course, when the Gemara has that sort of reference, it's generally referring to Bene Bavel, people living in Bavel, Tamud Bavli, as opposed to Bene Eris Israel. Suggest Rashi, here's how it goes. Uh, with regards to us in Bavel, uh, well, for us, if you have Negaim, it indeed is uh, perhaps Yisurin uh, Shalahava. Uh, that's right, you can live your life in a regular fashion, live around people, be involved with people, and you just have that growth, which is difficult, uncomfortable, maybe painful. Lehu means for Eris Israel, perhaps. Well, for them, they get sent out. They have laws which apply to their distancing, to us saying to them, you are away from us, tame tame, you, we call about you and we say about you, you're contaminated, you're impure. That's the difference. For us, you can still live as a regular member of society, even as you have this. That's a definition of Yisuri and Shalahaba. For them, where they have other laws which will distance you, take you apart, uh, that's uh, from, from regular society and living with other people, that would be not Yisuri and Shalahaba. Tosafot questions Rashi. Tosafot says, but wait a second, this is assuming that the laws of Batea Arehoma are still relevant today. The laws of Bateare Hama, however, are not relevant, or only re- relevant during the times of Yovel. If the Gemara is talking in the days of Rabbi Yohanan, there's no Yovel any longer uh, operative. And in turn, these laws shouldn't be operative either. The Rishonim struggle to be Miyashev for for Rashi, maybe the specific laws with regards to selling a property in Bateare Homa aren't re- relevant, but the laws of, of Nega'im would be relevant. Alternatively, Tosafot says a lot more simple. 
says in Eretz Yisrael, they're still makpid, at least in the time of Rabbi Yohanan, on the inyanim, on the matters of Tumah v'tahara. They're still uh, scrupulous about keeping themselves tahor. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, when you're imagining you're in Eretz Amamin, you're already ensconced, enveloped by Tumah, you're not as careful any longer. And in turn, in our Gemara, the difference between living in Eretz Yisrael and outside of Eretz Yisrael is whether you care, quote-unquote, about this nega or not. That's the second answer in the Gemara. So again, the Gemara is challenging the Niga'im, Rabbi Yohanan said, I don't think Niga'im would be Surin Shalahava. The Gemara says, but I have a Beraita which says it's a Mizbah Kapara. First answer, Mizbah Kapara is not equivalent to Yisurin Shalahava. Second answer, it's, it's Yisurin Shalahava for us in Bavel, but not for Rabbi Yohanan who lives in Eretz Israel. The Ibayit Ema, alternatively, last answer, Habesina'ah. It's the difference between whether those nega'im are exposed to others or are concealed and only you know about them. If they're exposed to others, assuming we're outside of Eretz Israel in Bavil, where you're not going to have to be scrupulous or you're not going to be sent out, even if they're concealed. But ultimately speaking, when they're concealed, it's not as much a... Uh, a, a determining factor with regards to distancing you from others. If they're revealed, people move away from you. People are nervous about getting close to you. People put on masks when they come into your context or in any way close to you. That would be the distinction in that respect. Okay, so the Gemara gave three answers, but now we're on to the last of that mention with regards to Rabbi Yohanan. If you recall, Rabbi Yohanan had two mentions. He said, Nega'im Ubanim. Both nega and children, we're not exactly sure what that means, children, we're assuming it means the death of children, are not considered yisurin shela ahava. That's our issue at this, at this juncture. We're dealing with the statement of Biohanan, ubanim lo, and children, and again, the assumption the death of children is not considered yisurin shela ahava. Hechidame, what's the case that Biohanan was referring to when he said that that's not considered yisurin shela ahava? Ilema, maybe the case is dehavulahu umetu. Maybe the case is you had children, you had sons, you had daughters, but they passed away. That's not considered Yisurin Shalahava. We can try to figure out why you would say that, but says the Gemara, it's not so. Veha Amar Biohanan, Biohanan himself said, Den Garma de Asira'a Bir. This is the bone of my tenth son. Explains Rashi, he had ten sons, and each of them passed away. And he would hold that last bone from his la- that bone from his last son as a way says rashi to bring for him agbat nefesh a certain somber and serious tone to his life why would he be doing that why would he not be proud but in any way keep near and dear to himself something which is going to distance himself from closeness to god from an appropriate engagement in life Unless he considered it a Yisurin Shalahava. But Rashi goes a step further. Rashi suggests, um, if you take a look at Rashi on the left-hand side, in the narrow lines, about six or so lines down, says Rashi, It's inconceivable that if this happened to Rabbi Yohanan, that he had... Other side, that's Rashi, right? That's, that's six lines down or so. That's, it's inconceivable that if Rabbi Yohanan had ten children who died to him, and he's a great person, that it would be anything other than Yisurin Shel Ahava. That's the assumption here in the Gemara, according to Rashi. Interestingly, and... Which goes against the Gemara. Why so? The Gemara says that... But keep in mind, the Gemara is questioning. The Gemara is saying, if Rabbi Yohanan had ten sons 
and this was his reality. So clearly it is Yisurin Shalava. Says Rashi, how do you know it's clearly Yisurin Shalava? So initially the way I explained it, which is somewhat hinted in Rashi, but not his explicit interpretation is, well, why would Rabbi Yohanan be walking around with it? Maybe he was walking around. No, says Rashi, it couldn't have been anything other than Yisurin Shalava because he was a Gavra Rabba. Just in terms of what took place, before we move onward for a second in the Gemara, with regards to those ten sons, Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon. It's on the right-hand side of my Gemara. In yours as well, as of course, from the he's going to quote from the Geonim, and something a bit different, a little bit more detailed with regards to these sons of Rabbi Yohanan. Must have been a tradition of sorts, or maybe other sources that maybe we don't have, certainly not in our Talmud Bavli. He says, Pirshu Rabbeinu Shirira Rabbeinu Hai. He's citing from two of the Geonim, Rav Nisim Gaon is. Um, Rabbi Yohanan Kavar Asara Banim Zecharim. He buried ten male sons, asiri shebahen, and then the death, the tragic death of the last one, nafal letoch yore gedola kasha The last of his sons had this uh, gruesome, terrible death. He fell into a boiling pot, vinames besaro, and his flesh um, uh, melted, vinamak. Natal Rabbi Yohanan Etzim Shil Etzba Ketana. After this, Rabbi Yohanan took the bone from his small finger, Shelo, Visirra Besadino, and he covered it in his cloak, in his clothing, Vehayamenahemba Aherim. And he would use it as a way to console others by showing them that. Alternatively, a different version, maybe he had one son left, another version or another uh, suggestion that he did have one son who survived. And ironically, whereas many of the rabbis from Bavil go into Eretz Israel, he sent his, his son to Bavel to learn with Shimuel. Uh, just parenthetically as well, how was Rabbi Yohanan walking around with a bone? How's that possible? Why would he be holding a bone, especially right after we said Nez Yisrael, where Nizhar on the Halachot of Tuman Tahara, Rashi suggests that the bone was smaller than Etzim Ka'adasha. It was a small enough measurement that it's not metameh. Um, other Rishonim have different interpretations. Aruch, if I'm not mistaken, suggests the bone was really his tooth, which is not metameh. Uh, there are different interpretations, different suggestions with regards to how that was being done. But wait a second, back to the Gemara. The Gemara is in the midst of, a, of an issue. Rabbi Yohanan said, death of children, we're assuming that's what it means, is not considered Yisurin Shalahava. Then how come this happened to Rabbi Yohanan? How could Rabbi Yohanan, as Tosafot suggests, as we kind of saw, as suggested Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon, how could he be consoling others by showing that as if he's showing them your child passed away understand there's something great to that as ironic and as tragic as it sounds not so it's not Yisurin Shalava Ela says the Gemara what he meant when Rabbi Yohanan said that it's not considered Yisurin Shalava Hadela Havu Le Kelal Havule Umetu the Gemara says instead that um, there's a distinction between if a person never had children, that's not Yisurin Shalahava, it's less painful, it's less uh, to be understood as an act of love, very difficult to understand, from God, as opposed to a person who had children, like Rabbi Yohanan, they passed away, that we can, and perhaps should, according to Rabbi Yohanan, envision them, see them as Yisurin Shalahava. Tosafot, of course, asks the obvious question, 
on Rashi, Rashi, your interpretation of this Gemara is that we're basing the greatness of Rabbi Yohanan as our standard with regards to if he had this, it can't be Yisurin Shel Ahava. Are you aware, Rashi asks Tosafot, there were many great, objectively great individuals in our history, in our present, who didn't have children. Does that mean that they weren't great enough? Does that, in other words, Tosafot says, too simple to say, because Rabbi Yohanan was great, clearly this was Yisurin Shel Ahava. Tosafot, as a matter of fact, cites, says, we don't know that Yehoshua had any children. Does that take away from his greatness? Instead, as I mentioned just a moment ago, Tosafot suggests, the proof over here is from the fact that Rabbi Yohanan would show the bone as a way of consoling others, which seems to suggest that there's some merit to this. Says the Gemara honored Rabbi Hiyabaraba, the Gemara tells one or two stories, Halash, this rabbi Rabbi Hiyabaraba got sick and he was weakened. Rabbi Yohanan enters to visit him. Amar le says Rabbi Yohanan, very consistent with what we've now developed and understood about Rabbi Yohanan, who seems to be somewhat comfortable or maybe excited about Yisurin Shalahava. Havivina Alecha Yisurin. He turns to him and he says, Are these Yisurin? Is this torture? Is this pain? Is this, is this beloved to you? Amar le lohen velo secharan. Answers Rabbi Hiyabar Abba, no, not interested in them, nor am I interested in their reward. As I mentioned at the onset, and maybe we'll recap this when we're done with everything in the next class with regards to Yisurin Shalahava in these sugyot, is to realize that this is far from a simple concept even in the time of the Gemara. We're dealing with Rabbi Yohanan who's extolling its greatness, and then we deal with Rabbi Hiyabar Abba, and we'll see one or two others. We're not all that excited. Lohen velo secharan. Amar les responds to Yohanan. Okay, if you're not interested in them, have li yadach, hand me your hand, or hand over, or uh, present your hand to me. Yahav le yadeh ve'okmeh. He um, presents his hand, and Rabbi Yohanan has a way of curing him. That's difficult to understand. We'll see it one or two more times. Ahead in the Gemara, is that a magical curing? Or is this a story with a certain lesson and the hand of a person, the ability to affect and to have ma'asim tobim, perhaps something along those lines is with regards to what we're reading. That's how some of the Mefarshim um, suggest this giving over, presenting his hand, and in turn moving away from the Yisurin Shalahaba. The Gemara continues with Rabbi Yohanan himself. Halash, he got sick, he was weakened. This is our Rabbi Yohanan, the Yisurin Shalahaba individual. This time turns to Rabbi Yohanan and says to him, uh, Are these beloved to you? Are you enjoying this pain? Rabbi Yohanan himself, in the moment of pain as he's experiencing it, not the death of his children this time, but his own personal pain and uh, suffering says, I'm not, no, not them, nor their reward. Am I interested? Or do I desire? Amale havli yadach, says Rabbi Haninat, Rabbi Yohanan, hand me your, present your hand to me, yahavle yadeh ve'okme. Says the Gemara, amai, why did Rabbi Yohanan need to present his hand to Rabbi Hanina in order for Rabbi Hanina to somehow cure him. Didn't Rabbi Yohanan just a moment ago, we read in the Gemara, do that for Rabbi Hiyabar Avin? However, this is affected by presenting your hand, and as I said a moment ago, looking at the merit of the person's deeds, maybe praying in the merit of their deeds. Listen, we're, we're familiar with that. When a person is sick, we oftentimes, we talk as a community about their greatness, uh, so to speak, turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and saying, we're going to lose the strength of their hand to our community, to our nation, to our family, if you take them. So when you show your hand and you uh, are able to present the goodness of that person, 
their righteousness, their necessity. So how come Rabbi Yochanan couldn't do that about himself? Answers the Gemara, a very telling statement. Rabbi Yochanan says the Gemara, Am I lukim, lukim Rabbi Yochanan lenafsheh? Why doesn't Rabbi Yochanan heal himself by presenting his hand? Answers the Gemara, Amre in havush matir atzmo mibet ha'asurim. A person who is uh, incarcerated, who's stuck in jail, cannot get themselves out of jail. I can be the person who perhaps can save you from jail if I'm outside of jail. When I'm in jail, I'm in the vulnerable, defenseless situation. I can't get myself out. Well, he's weak. Oh, you're saying he's, his mind and his spirit are weakened, which is probably the same point. In other words, I'm in that's a state a where I can't. Oh, we don't know if he it's got contagious. it from him. Oh, that's what you're determining? Interesting. Don't give doesn't hand, he say held that. his hand, and then later he got it. You're thinking like a real 21st century person. Maybe. I don't know that he got it per se from him. The Gemara certainly does that make, doesn't make that clear. But the Gemara does make clear that, yes, he is weakened to the extent that in this vulnerable, difficult circumstance, and he can't pray for himself, it's a certain lesson with regards to prayer as well. Uh, we're well familiar with the statements of the rabbis in which they suggest praying for another. Praying for yourself only goes so far because you're biased, because you're connected to the issue. You're nogea'abadavar. It's a different individual speaking objectively to a certain extent, maybe a little biased, but less biased than the person themselves that has a strength which is unlike the other. Says halash. Another one of the rabbis, Rabbi Eliezer, or maybe Rabbi Al-Azhar is the other version of this, got sick, he was weakened. Al-Legabe Rabbi Yohanan, Rabbi Yohanan visits him. Rabbi Yohanan notices that Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Al-Azhar, is in a dark home. Rabbi Yohanan exposes his arm. And as a result of doing so, Nafal Nahora. Light emerges. Says Rashi, you want to know why this happened? Because the Biochanan, the Gemara tells us in Masechet, Bava Mitzian Daf Pedalid, was beautiful. So exposure of his arm uh, brings forth light in the room. Now, obviously, not to be taken in the literal sense of light coming out as a result of exposing himself. Furthermore, there's difficulty on Rashi. Arms are perhaps not the beauty of a person, more their faces. Why is his arm being exposed? But what Rashi seems to even himself be referring to is the fact that this was a gloomy circumstance. By now having something of beauty in the room, it kind of changed the mood, perhaps. Um, alternatively, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Milisa, I once discovered this in this book, it's called Emet Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov Milisa is the author of Nitivot, of the, the Nitivot HaMishpat. Uh, he, in his book, uh, suggests a bit differently, but you'll have to read together ahead with me in the Gemara for a moment in order to understand. But uh, first and foremost, with regards to the darkness, his suggestion is, uh, as, I just, uh, as I just set forth, it's a certain gloominess in the room. It's not the physical darkness that he's lying in. It's that, uh, imagine it, so to speak, Lehavdil, uh, it's the cartoon where there's the dark and, uh, and, and clouded circumstance. That's what's hovering above and in their midst. Okay, what which continues... Which was in the first two stories. Which was not in the first two stories. It's, it, it almost appears as if the first two stories were either less, the death was less imminent, it was less impending, it was, it was not as dangerous, or alternatively, they were a little bit more optimistic, as opposed to Bil Azar, who was less so. I don't know if it's because of their sickness, uh, the severity, or alternatively, it's just in terms of their optimism and their perspective. Anyway, the Gemara continues and it says, after exposing his arm, Rabbi Yohanan, Hazyed Havakabache. And now, uh, Rabbi Al-Azhar notices that Rabbi Al-Azhar notices that Rabbi Al-Azhar is 
crying. Why are you crying? Maybe it's because Torah you haven't, and Rashi's words are, studied and learned as much as you wanted to. It's not to say that Rabbi Lazar didn't study plenty and wasn't very knowledgeable. Maybe you wanted to know more. Maybe there was an opportunity or opportunities you had in your lifetime to study more, or you imagined having those opportunities, and that's what you're crying about. That's what you're depressed about. Shaninu, don't we know the statement? The statement is, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality, it's about the perspective, it's about the intention. Whether you give a lot or a little, it's not the matter. The issue specifically is, your mindset, your intention. As Rashi points out, this statement is actually written and said in the context of korbanot. The Gemara compares a korban minhat to korban olah. By both of them, the Torah says, it's reach nihawach, it's hakadosh baruch hu, so to speak, is mitaveh, he's desiring this and is enjoying this. But wait a second, korban minhat is from grain. It's a lot less valuable than a full animal, which is sacrificed entirely to God. It's not about the quantity. So responds initially to Biyohanan to Bilazar. Maybe you're crying because of that the because of the Torah. You wish you studied more. Please. Your mindset, and we know it, was La Shamaim. That's what is the uh, enduring factor. Maybe it's because you don't have the sufficient and didn't have the sufficient amount of uh, of money and uh, nutrition for your household. Maybe that was the circumstance and you're crying about maybe your children, or just in general you assume because of your sins, that's why you didn't have great means in your lifetime. Not every person can, and most people will not, achieve two tables, which means they both the table of Torah and the table of Parnassah. Uh, there's, uh, unfortunately, the reality is such that our attention and our uh, ability to acquire will oftentimes be split between Torah and Parnassah. You have the Torah, so it stands to reason to a certain extent that you don't have that Parnassah. Don't be downtrodden, depressed about it. See it as your greatness in the other realm. Maybe it's because of children. Maybe you haven't had the children that you uh, believed you would have. Uh, maybe you did, and, and, and there's something that has, has befallen, and the Gemara doesn't make clear to us. However, the statement of Rabbi Yohanan in this context is, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I can console you specifically about that, den garma de asira abir. Those are the state, that's the statement we read earlier about Rabbi Yohanan, the way he would console people. He said he would... He, pulled out at this point what he would carry around with himself, the bone, the, the uh, tooth, whatever it was from that child, his tenth child, and showed it to him in order to say to him, either, this is Yisurin Shel Ahava, or maybe not even either, maybe that's his suggestion in that context, but at the very least it's a way of consoling him. Marsha, if I'm not mistaken, suggests and points out the three issues that he raises, uh, Haye, right, excuse me, the Torah initially, and then he mentioned Mizonot, Parnasa, and lastly, he mentioned children. The Gemara Masechet Moed Katan and Daf Kafhet, in a famous statement, says there are three matters which are not bide adam lo bischuta taliamilta ella bemazala taliamilta. It's dependent upon something called mazal. To a certain extent, the easiest way to understand it says out of your hand and capacity to generally speak in control. What are they? Haye, which means lifetime. It sounds like, or, or alternatively. 
the quality, the truth, truthful life, Torah, says Maharsha, that was the first, Haye, uh, Mezone, Ubane, well, those next two are directly parallel to our Gemara, so Rabbi Yohanan, this moment, is kind of referencing what all the rabbis would kind of <coughs> be aware of and saying to Rabbi Lazar, don't get downtrodden about that, those were never in your hand to begin with, and I'll do more than that, Rabbi Yohanan, then, according to Marsha's reading is, I'll do more than that, I'll tell you that you've even been great at these, you've achieved more than could have been expected. Amale says Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yohanan, to be honest with you, the reason I'm crying is, I'm crying because the ground will eat up this beautiful being in front of me. Rabbi Lazar says, I am depressed about the fact that now that I'm feeling and experiencing a close-to-death experience, a near-death experience, I'm looking at you. Look how beautiful you are, that the ground is going to have you, that you won't be present for eternity. That's an amazing statement, because especially the response of Biyohanan, not at all what we were expecting, at least I wasn't the first time learning this one. Says Biyohanan, on that matter, oh yeah, you should be crying about that, and they cried together. Really? Biyohanan, about yourself? Not a simple Gemara already to interpret. The suggestion of many goes as follows. This book is called Imre Noam. Imre Noam is from Gaon Mivilna. He suggests in one of two fashions. He says that the expression of a human being's beauty is either a reference to the righteous people in the past who have perished. Alternatively, he doesn't write this explicitly. It's to, it's to the mention of something great and beautiful in our lives that we yearn for, the Mikdash. Or he says as well, maybe it's the Galut HaShechinah, that last reference that it's referring to Galuta Shekhinah, I think we can appreciate most. When we talk about Se'elim Elokim, when we talk about the divine complexion that human beings have, it's when we see something beautiful in life that we're most, in some way or fashion, connected to godliness, or we appreciate the godliness. So perhaps in that moment, the expression of Biohanan's beauty is not so much Biohanan himself, but the expression of God's divinity in this world, his ability, our ability to tap into that when seeing beautiful and handsome men and women in an appropriate sense. Well, that's the Gemara's statement up until now. Again, Gaon Milisa, Rabbi Yaakov Milisa, in his book, Emet Yaakov, questions this as well. well. What's with the beauty of Rabbi uh, Yohanan being uh, the, the issue with regards to this matter. His suggestion through and through is that the arm is a particular uh, mention over here, and we mentioned this earlier in the Gemara with regards to the hand. The arm is the righteous deeds of a sadiq, of, of an individual who's, who's imbued with a righteousness, and in turn, the loss of this beautiful individual is perhaps as well the righteousness of humanity, of Rabbi Hanan. So it means this story, more than anything, is shifting a perspective of life and death from just a mundane life to a life of meaning. And Rabbi Azar's conversation with Rabbi Hanan then is reflecting the matters which are most important in life. It's the expression of that divine beauty in life, the righteous deeds, the gemilut uh, hasadim. That's what they together are crying about. The darkness in the house was, so to speak, the Rabil Azar being ensconced in depression, not realizing, not being enlightened to that point. As these things are happening, as this conversation is taking place, they get up to a particular juncture and Rabbi Hanan turns to Bil Azar and you guessed it, he asks him, Are you enjoying the pain, the torture, the suffering? 
Answers of Bilazar, Amarle, Lohen, Velosecharan. Neither the pain nor the reward. For Amarle, Havli Yedach, present your hand to me. Yahavle Yadeh, Veokme. And indeed, Bilazar uh, presents his hand to Rabbi Yohanan. Rabbi Yohanan has a way of either praying or in that merit of Bilazar bringing forth, at least in the eyes of the rabbis, his Refu'ah Shelema. Effectively, each one of these last three stories end with that punchline. Even Rabbi Yohanan himself, which perhaps could have been envisioned as that climax, he himself says, Lohem velo which leaves us as the learners of Gemara, as perhaps the philosophers of Judaism, wondering, well, the Gemara is not even so ambiguous with regards to Yisuri and Shalava. We've seen a lot of positive on this end, but then these several stories of Yohanan himself seem to suggest that this is maybe an ideal, but maybe not even an ideal. If the individual who had been extolling its greatness, who had been speaking about the virtue of Yisurin Shalava himself, says, Lohen velo secharan, perhaps we'll have opportunity to have one more last thought on this in the coming uh, uh, class with regards to Masih, uh, this, this sugya. But that effectively uh, summarizes what we learned today. Again, we started with the uh, specifics, the details of Rabbi Yohanan, what brings forth the mehila for all of Avonotav. We had that mentioned that we learned last time, Tane Tanak Ahmed Rabbi Yohanan. Then we have the Rabbi Yohanan statement of two exceptions that we know are not Yisurin Shalahava. That was the children and the negaim. We qualified the negaim in one of three ways. The children we suggested is not so much the death of children that you could suggest as Yisurin Shalava, what Rabbi Yohanan himself underwent. It's rather the birth or never having the birth of children, which would not be qualified as Yisurin Shalava. And then we have these three interesting, tantalizing stories with regards to Rabbi Yohanan himself coming in contact with others who were sick or he himself who was sick and weakened to the extent that the question that's presented in each of those situations is, Habibin Alecha Yisurin, are you enjoying them? To which each of the rabbis, including Bi'ohana Lohen, Velosecharan, leaving us with a question, but closer to an answer with regards to the Gemara's true opinion that it's setting forth for us with regards to this Yisurin Shalahava. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen, Amen.